and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Siobhan Mayer Kennedy. Now, Siobhan was the lead singer of River City People. Now, over the past couple months, we featured bands like The Big Dish, Love and Money, and even Tapao to an certain extent, where they've had more success overseas than they have in the States. Somehow, they could not crack the U.S., and River City People was on that list as well. They released two albums, late 80s, early 90s. Their biggest hit was a remake of Mamas and Papas' California Dreaming. We discussed my favorite song of theirs, Carry the Blame, that deals with a very sensitive uh, topic. But after the two albums, they called it quits. Siobhan formed Kindred Spirit with the Bengals. Debbie Peterson, the Bengals, broke up. So Siobhan and Debbie got together. They released one album. It's really good. And then that was it for them. Siobhan released a solo album called Immigrant Flower in 2002 more of a country rock album it's also really good as well we discussed what she's been up to since then uh she actually for her first professional gig she sang background vocals on the big dish so we discussed that as well really enjoyed my conversation with siobhan i had a huge crush on her back in the day and she's still lovely as ever and i hope you enjoy my conversation with her So, Siobhan, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It's fun. Yeah. So uh, before we kind of like look back, um, what was like the last two years been like for you? Or for, like finally out of this pandemic, it seems like. But how has the last two years been for you? Well, very hard. Um, we uh, had a very close friend who was one of the first people to pass away from, from COVID, um, John Prine. And in right. fact... It will be his um, anniversary tomorrow of two years. So that was hard because my whole life in Nashville has been with that family. Right. His wife, Donegal Island. So we were like the first kind of girls from over there that yeah. married from over here and then met each other and raised our children together. Yeah. And then the last five years leading up to when the pandemic started, um, I had been working for them as a personal assistant right? because it fitted in so nicely with um, the school stuff with my kids, you know? And um, yeah, so everything changed, like everything changed. It was like so weird. We were so terrified after he passed away that, you know, everyone was going to be so vulnerable to this. So um, we probably locked down harder than some people who hadn't had that experience. And as a result, took a bit longer to get back to real life, you know. Um, and of course, I, you yeah. know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to get back to more or less the life that I had, whereas right. that they have to change everything, you know. Yeah. yeah. How much did you know about John? Like b- b- before you arrived in the States, did you know a lot of his music? I did because my dad had, you know, raised me on great music. And he was into a lot of singer-songwriter stuff um, and was always playing great stuff in the house. Mm. So I already knew um, the Muhlenberg County song, although back in those days, you didn't have the lyrics anywhere. Right. So I know what we were saying. I think we were saying Nuremberg. We, we couldn't figure out saying, yeah. but... But I, I learned Mr. Peabody's Coltrane back then, you know. So when I first met um, Fiona and she said she was married to him, I was like, oh, the same guy who wrote yeah. that song? And she was like, yeah. yeah. And, um, and so that was so funny. So, of course, when I told my dad, right. he was so thrilled. He was like, I want to meet John. I yeah. want to meet John. So <laughs> when they came on holiday, they would come every year. Um and uh, they would, you know, they got to meet him. And of course, That's great. You know, my dad was just blown away because right. he knew all of his catalog. I, I only knew a couple of things, right. but my dad knew the whole oh, nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So who else were some of your influences like besides John? Um, well, I, I was taught a lot of great songs by my dad growing up. I was taught uh, Peter, Paul and Mary's stuff, the Kingston Trio, um, 
Mamas and Papas, Beach Boys, Everly Brothers, Beatles, and then thrown in with a smattering of really good Irish standards. And so the combination of all that melody and all those great songwriters, I think it was a good, it was a good base, you know? When you're growing up in the, the 60s, like I was, I wasn't getting my music from anywhere other than what I heard my dad play. Right. So it was all his records and what we were, what he was teaching me to play as well. So like he bought me a ukulele when I was five and taught me Hang Down Your Head, Tom Dooley and the theme tune to Dr. Shivago, Somewhere My Love, which was two chords. Right. So I was, you know, so yeah. impressed that I right. could perform two songs for everybody. Um, but that was the way I was getting my music. And then after that, it was really just what I saw on the television or in movies. So yeah. I ended up being a big um, TV and movie song person. Right. Because that was the only place I was hearing it. Yeah, I mean, it's like now, I mean, obviously, there's so many more avenues to hear things. But before, it's you're kind of like the radio was so important. And, you know, what, seeing what you you know heard on the movies and stuff like that, where now it's not really the same. No, well, I got a cassette player for my 10th birthday and it had a microphone attached and, you know, the record and play. Oh, yeah. I used to kneel at the television with the microphone right. um, and record the songs yeah. that I like because I suppose the radio mustn't have been on a lot at home. It was mainly records <sighs> playing. So I, you know, I didn't get to hear what was in the charts until right. I was like a lot older. So I was recording the things I liked <laughs> off yeah. the television. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So then like flash forward a little bit, you must have been like kind of surreal to cover, you know, California Dreaming by the Mamas and Papas. Yeah. Yeah, it was because, uh, you know, um, I was a huge Mamas and Papas fan. I mean, my dad played me Mama Cass and said, that's singing right, right. there. Not only is it a great song, but listen mm. to her voice. And, you know, I, I just was a, a huge fan. So fast forward, like you say, we're in a studio with immense pressure from the record label. Right. We're on like our second single that hasn't really broken the top 20. And they're like, you know, what's going to be the next single? Yeah. And we said, carry the blame. Let's just go all out yeah. there. Controversial, a song about abortion. It's showing both sides of the coin. It's bound to spark you know, um, a discussion and a positive discussion about right. women's rights and about just the whole, the whole thing. We wanted to like um, put a song out there that, that right. meant something because it really did. It was from somebody's experience, someone's personal experience, how they felt. Um, but of course the record label were like, well, could you do something more joyful on the other yeah. side? Right. So we had this great weekend. The sun was shining. We were at a residential recording studio. And I said, look, let's just do one of my favorite songs. Let's do California Dreaming. Yeah. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll do most of yeah. the harmony myself. That was the hard thing was that right. live we had to make sure. Yeah, the, the recording. Could, could fulfill the harmony. Right. And they did a good job. Um, but we had layered ourselves in we were being yeah. all of the mamas and papas ourselves, you know. And I just think the joy of that weekend, of being a band and, you know, having a great time mm. and doing a song that we really loved, I think it just captured everybody's, um, they, could, they could feel the spirit of it. And of course, it's a fantastic song. Right, absolutely. And you knocked it out of the park. I, I love the version of the band did, absolutely. Now, how much fun was it? doing it on top of the pops oh my gosh that was probably one of the best days yeah. of my life because I had previously worked at BBC television center in the children's BBC department okay and I had wore them out with how they I was going to come back and be on top of the pops right. and they were like, yeah, yeah yeah and I was like, no I really am 
I'm going to go back to Liverpool. I'm going to really focus on my band. I'm going to, you know, make sure we've got everything we need so that we can really, you know. And so the day I, I did Top of the Pops, like the whole of Television Centre that knew me from the doorman right. to everyone in all the offices, they were all in um, in, to- the in the Top of the Pops right. dressing room. Oh, that's great. Great. Yeah. <laughs> now, you, you uh, lip synced it, right? That's mostly what they do on yeah, Top of the Pops. Yeah. The unfortunate thing is you have to yeah. lip sync the Top of the Pops. Yeah. Right. But at least you don't have to worry about the harmony part then. <laughs> no, it sounded yeah. great. Yeah. It sounded just like the record because guess what? It, it is. was, right. <laughs> yeah. And then you mentioned the Carry the Blame. And like I said before, that's like one of my favorite songs by you guys. And it's like, a difficult you know topic yeah how many like times did you have to answer the question whether you were like pro or for right abortion? I, yeah i'm sure a lot but i think yeah. what's lovely about the song is how can you argue with a person's real experience right this was a friend that this had happened to just showed how we have to have understanding for other humans yeah. a horrible decision I don't think anybody takes abortion lightly nobody's using it as a form of contraception because there is contraception exactly you know, it's usually because of really unfortunate circumstances and we have to have compassion and you know we did have to answer that song a lot the, the pro-lifers were on it like this is an anti-abortion yeah. song well, well, actually, it isn't. Listen to it. That girl 
does feel like she carries the guilt in a way, but it's more imagining the fact that if that child had been mm. born, you know, what would it have looked like? And right. you know, nobody wants that regret, but sadly, not everybody lives in perfect circumstances. No. And boy, do you find that out as you get along the way. Yeah. It's always the poor people, the marginalized, the, um, you know, here in America, it's a lot of the black communities where they don't have proper health care. And, yeah. you know, then you see it from, you know, how it, it has to be there. It has to be available to people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been a topic for decades now. And I don't think Definitely. it's going to change at any time soon. <laughs> It, you know, it does, and it, it's not that um, when you say you feel like it needs to be there and available to women that you're saying, mm. let's kill millions of babies, which is what they all jump on. Of course. Yeah. They, they call Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, the baby murderer, you yeah. know, like just such rubbish. That is not what anybody who feels like a woman's mm. healthcare needs, right. are, yeah. you know, but was so polarized with it. It just, I never imagined moving to America that it would actually be one of the reasons a lot of people mm. vote Republican. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And I was shocked because I was like, oh, I'm at a, I've got my kids in Catholic school. And right. Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're yeah. not voting the same way. <laughs> no, that's for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. So I recently had Stephen Lindsay on from, from the big dish. And I had, oh, yeah. I, yeah, I had no idea that you sang background vocals on their first album with the song her town.
that was my very first background vocal session and it was just wonderful. Um, I went to a real recording studio in right. London and actually did backgrounds for the first time and loved it. Absolutely loved it. I mean, I was always harmony singing with my yeah. family, but it's, um, sorry, living with a record producer and they're always playing music right. <laughs> in the house because there's things to tweak. Um, and yes, um, I, I had never thought about how it would be to wear headphones. You know, I've never done any, anything right. like that before. So again, that was like a whole new experience for me. I loved it. And I still love it. I still love doing backgrounds on people's albums. Yeah. I like I that I wish that band had a bigger audience in the States because they were they were so good. And yeah. uh yeah, they really didn't do much here. And I know Stevens has a new project out coming called Interlopers, which is which is pretty good. But I always right. felt the same way about River City People. You guys deserve to have a bigger audience here in the states yeah. i don't know if the record company promoted sure. you correctly I, i'm not sure it was like spinal tap <laughs> <laughs> our, our u.s tour was spinal tap right. like i remember us driving hundreds of miles to a record store signing and there was one copy of the record <laughs> <laughs> and we were like oh and they were like yeah we do have one copy of that so it was, I think it was the realization that first of all, America works so differently with musical genres, which right. we didn't know what that was. We were just yeah. all competing for the same pop chart as everybody else. Then you right. come over here and they're like, are you triple A? Are you AOR? Are you um, pop radio? And we're like, we yeah. don't know what we are. We don't we know. Yeah. So we were stuck in all that. And I think we were on Capitol. Um, and they didn't know what to do with us. They were like, are you rock or are you pop? Right. Um, so it was it was difficult. I'll tell you who did really um, do great for us was Canada, Capital in Canada. They kind of got us a little bit more okay. and um, their promotion was a lot better uh, because they kind of understood the kind of the Irishy, folky, Celtic influences and so they knew where to kind of market us a little better but um capital in America yeah. it was just like right. I don't even I, I don't even think they noticed we came right. over <laughs> you know it's, it's actually funny you mentioned Canada because I went to college up in Buffalo New York and the the Canadian stations would bleed down and that's actually where I first heard you guys yeah so and that was early you guys were already broken up but it was like 93 they definitely they definitely and I liked that about Canada. Um, they the Celtic um, influence up in that region of 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 the country. Just the Toronto, yeah. they were just like we had fans. We actually yeah. had fans came to the gig. We played um, Toronto, Calgary, and Vancouver. Okay. Um, you know, it was wonderful. We actually had people knew who we were. Whereas in America, it's you know it's so vast. Yeah. And if you're not radio, and we weren't really, no. I don't think I ever heard us on the radio in America, but we did have a really cool tour. Okay. Do you know who we toured with in America? Was it Fleetwood Mac, was it? No, no. We, okay. we came on Fleetwood Mac and went went on the American tour with Johnny Clegg and Savuka. Oh, I've heard of them. Okay. okay. So cool. Right. So Cool. cool. This was before apartheid had like, you know, this was right. This was um, when Nelson Mandela was still in still jail, prison. right? And we were touring with a white South African singer with a Zulu band. Wow! Like he was yeah. doing the whole thing where he was like, free mm -hmm. Nelson Mandela, anti-apartheid. We loved it, mm -hmm. but we were the opening act, so okay. I shared dressing room with Mandisa who was a, a oh, Zulu wow. and it was just a, I loved it right so like when we would walk out on stage in New York I would say well I guess this is a night of world music because <laughs> we're from Liverpool right from South Africa oh that's great what well, was there any like feedback negative feedback about the band um it was it was mixed definitely um you know, anything like that, especially in America, is very politically charged, right. even back then. 
not quite as bad as today, but um, but yeah, it gave us a great opportunity to say, hello, yeah. you know, we are not going to support South Africa in anything until they allow wow. black people the same rights yeah. and they free Nelson Mandela. So it was a good opportunity for us to um, to champion that. I mean, that's what I mean. People say, "Oh, don't get involved in politics if you're a, a musician." But you know, if you're writing about life, yeah, you yeah. should write about people's human rights because yeah. we're all humans. Exactly, exactly. We all want the same rights, and uh, we all have the same rights. And yeah. yeah, we all want to. Um, for the most part, most humans want to have a nice life, raise their family, have enough money to live off, be well, and yeah. love their children. And so if there's a section of society that are not allowed to do that, hello. You know, it's just the South African thing. I mean, when my eyes were open to that, yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh, we have to we have to mention this. So we actually had it on the back of the album, River City People. Oh. Um, support the anti-apartheid movement, right. you know. That's great. So of course, yeah. the record label were like, well, your record won't be stocked in any of the record shops. And like, well, we don't care. Yeah, you're, you're making a point. That's good. You're, you're standing up for something you believe in, whether or not it's going to hurt you, you know, financially. Well, all four of us as a band, I wasn't one of the main songwriters, as you know. Yeah. It was brothers, Tim and Paul Speed. Right. We were all on the same page as far as what we wanted to say that's good yeah i think from the first album besides care to blame thirsty is like my favorite song for you guys it's it's such a good song it wasn't like released as a single Yeah. 
that intro played now and I walked on stage, yeah. I would love that. Right. But I just, it was a great song to do live. Yeah. Now, um, I, you guys had some issues with the second album. Right? I mean, the second album was great, but like that kind of ended the band, didn't it? A little bit. Kind of, yeah. It was, um, you know, it's that typical thing of the second album. Everyone's like, how do we make it better? How do we? So um, the record label had us interview way too many record producers. I'm like, you don't need to interview that many record right. producers. And then, um, you know, it just was a bit higgledy-piggledy, I think, because we used like a couple of different combinations on the one album and um, tried too hard, I think. I think we tried too hard. I think there was some really good songs there. Yeah. Too much second guessing, remixing. So I didn't feel like as an album it was as cohesive anyway. And, um, we were pushing it to be too edgy when we could have just stayed ourselves and recorded it probably really quickly. Right. And but we did have a great time recording it. We went <laughs> That's to good. the other studios in okay. Bath and met Peter Gabriel and, oh, and nice. Really great friends of all the people that work down there. Um, so it, it was great fun to do, but yeah. um, I didn't feel like it it represented us um, as well as it should. And then when you when we started to market it, well, when the record label did, yeah. it was right at the beginning of rave. Okay. Rave was everything. The top twenty was full of dance, dance, right. dance, rave, and where, where does a guitar band fit in there? You know, you had a few bands that, that survived that, like the band Texas. They survived. Oh, yeah. They kind they did, of yeah. went to America and did the college circuit. Yeah. They had already hit in France, so they were able to concentrate their efforts and kind of stay on the outskirts of the, the rave. And then when they did an album, they brought in a bit of a groove bass on top of the very cleverly done and with you know we're able to yeah. survive kind of right. the the end of guitar bands yeah. for a while you know yeah it's it's funny you mentioned them because that album sounds definitely like you were influenced by them during the making of it yeah it was funny actually the timing of that you know timing's everything yeah we recording the first album say something good in california okay and I phoned home and somebody said, I think I heard you on the radio today. Yeah. So this would have been March of 89, maybe. And I was like, no, yeah. Our, we're mixing right now. Right. And, like, and it was, I don't want a lover. We've just been released. So yeah. kind of got pipped to the post on the sound of that one because a lot of people felt yeah. like, yeah. we sounded like them right we had no idea we were just That's all doing it at the same time but yeah, yeah they, they were incredibly successful right and um and rightly so great singer great songs great band yeah you know but sometimes there's only room for one type of course of thing. yeah i know right it can only be one in the days before <laughs> in the days before streaming and when everything was available yeah. to everybody you had playlist people going well, we've got the girl band at the moment on our playlist. And right. It's Texas. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I know. It's it's a shame, you know, because people can't really like expand their minds. It's only like, you know, there's only one spot, you know, one check mark and you know for the box, and that's it. They can't have oh, more than very that. Very definitely like that. 88, 89, 90, it was still very much, well, it's a band with a girl singer. Yeah. You know, we've already got this one on our playlist. So you know yeah so then after you broke up um this was an interesting like duo you and debbie peterson from the Bengals from kindred spirit which i absolutely loved how did that project so come about husband had been our manager as river city people and also the Bengals. okay but when we were in la doing the album miles got us together with the Bengals for a dinner at an indian restaurant and um Debbie and I really hit it off as friends. Right. So when the Bangles split up and then River City People split up, Miles still managed me. Okay. And he said, you know, I've got an idea. I think you and Debbie and Gina Shock from the Go-Go's right. 
you should all be in a band together. And I was like, okay, send me wherever because I'm <laughs> on the dole right now. Right. <laughs> so um, he sent me to LA and initially it was the three of us. Then Gina decided it wasn't for her. Okay. So just Debbie and I, and, and Miles took us out for lunch and said, well, what do you want to call yourselves? And I said, well, we've been through a lot of things. We're kind of like, and Debbie said, yeah, we're like kindred, kindred spirits. spirits. We agree on everything. was like that's what you should be kindred spirit so debbie and i then had to write an album 
Okay. Which I was like, oh gosh, because I don't write songs that right. much other than with the band. So Miles had a chateau, as you do, in Bordeaux, in okay. France, where he did songwriting retreats. And he sent me on that. And I wrote songs at the retreat, some of which were included in Kindred Spirit okay. album. And then Debbie just knuckled down with a friend right. in LA, Walker Eigelhart, and they wrote the songs that she brought to the project. Okay. And then we recorded them all together. Okay, so all both of your songs that all of you wrote made it to the album? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. So why the uh, Just Don't Loan album? It was, it was great. I figured there would be some more. So it was, it was so funny. So Miles put us out on his label, right. IRS Records. It wasn't the greatest experience for okay. the label. I feel like anyone who's been on IRS needs to be in therapy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was frustrating. And so then Debbie and I were getting into our 30s and we were like, eh, maybe yeah. we should have kids. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's what we did. Yeah. <laughs> we did one tour with, um, actually we did two. We toured with Vince Gill, which okay. was funny. Because then I met all the Nashville people who were like, Right. Aren't you Ray Kennedy's wife? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Like, what are you doing on tour with Vince Gill? I'm like, well, we're opening for him. And then um, we did a tour with Joan Armour Trading, which okay. was great. Right. Yeah, and we that's... actually enlisted our friend Christian Nesmith, Mike Nesmith's son. He played the acoustic guitars on our album. So he came and played acoustic for us on the tour and sang harmony yeah. with us. Oh, that's great. Now, speaking of like, the Vince Gill tour, was it hard to kind of win the crowd over at first or no? No, it was good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, um, it was very good. It was like they were there to hear good music. And okay. they loved the three-part harmony stuff that we did. And no, we got, we did the Royal Albert Hall. Oh, nice. And it was fantastic. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. And I think, you know, when it's just an acoustic trio like that, it it um yeah it's a nice little precursor to a, a big band you know right. so yeah it was good yeah because sometimes it's it's hard when you have a particular artist who's you know the main attraction and then you have an opening act who's a little bit different it's kind of hard to win the crowd over the we had a harder time as river sister people because yeah. we were trying to be the main event and we had a big band it was always yeah. a palaver trying to ask could we bring our drum kit on when it's all set up for the main band, you right. know? Yeah. I think opening slots like that are just torturous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we I did them all. <laughs> right. I interviewed James Grant, who was in Love and Money uh, a couple months ago, and he the band opened up for Tina Turner in the States, and he was telling me, like, he came onto the, onto the stage, and he was like, obviously, we're not Tina Turner. She'll be on in about a half hour. Tina Turner's manager went crazy. It's like, you can't say that. And that was it. They were done from the tour after the one show. It's like, you, you can't try to have a little bit of fun, but yeah, you really can't, it, you know. We did Tina Turner as well. We did Tina Turner okay. uh, at Woburn Abbey. And it was us, then Michael McDonald. Oh, wow. Tina okay. Turner. That's an and interesting combo. Can you imagine when we turned up where to put our drum kit? It was hilarious. Right. <laughs> Like the stage was like packed and like so precise because it's all ready for Tina. And we're yeah. like, we've got we our drums. We're like, uh, hi, we're right. the first opener. Where yeah. did we put the oh, That's funny. So then it must be even harder then to win over the crowd if you're the first opener when there's, more, oh, when there's multiple yeah. ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're only just starting to turn up. You know, it's a whole yeah. act planned. And, and right. so, you know, we probably had over half of the crowd okay. by then um but it was a lovely day and they were all it was outdoors and they were all in such a good mood that it was actually it was really right. great right so how long after the band or well, you and debbie kind of parted ways did you decide to do uh, immigrant flower your solo album okay so debbie and i had toured in um i guess it was whoo, was it 92, 93 ish? No, no, we recorded 93. So we record, we oh. were touring 94, 95. And then I had a baby in 95. So took a back seat with all the music. Right. 
And I think Immigrant Flower, I started recording in 2000. Okay. I started doing it in bits and pieces in between Steve Earle albums because my husband was Steve Earle's record producer, Ray Kennedy. And so in between Steve albums, him and Steve were producing me. And I think we just got it together over a period of a year. Yeah. What was it like, like working with Steve Earle? Great. Yeah. Yeah, great fun. Um, I mean, we butt heads a bit. We're both Capricorns and (laughs) both like to talk. So it was easier when he used to smoke because at least he could take a breath to like (laughs) light up and smoke. And then I could actually get a word Word in. in. Um, But now that he doesn't smoke, it's impossible to get a word. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But yeah, we had had a great time. In fact, I was just talking to the drummer, Brady Blake, who played on those tracks. Um, I met him for the first time in 16 years. I haven't seen him. And we saw him the other day. So we were talking about how fun that was doing those songs. Right. I I love Immigrant Flower. It's such a it's a great because I'm not a country fan at all. So it, it kind of teeters on the border of like country and rock. So I, yeah, mean, I, I was yeah. I was attracted to it. Like, where did um you guys come up with those songs? Well, um, I had done um a duet with Steve on his album El Corazon. Right. It's called Poison Lovers, and I just wanted that feel. And Ray just chose all the material for me. Steve was like, "Here's Kiss on mm. the Lips, Buddy and Julie Miller. You can't yeah. go wrong. Like it's just perfection." And I, I listened to them doing it, and I was like, "Oh, I love them!" Yeah. So I was thrilled to do that, and I got Buddy to sing harmony with me. And then, you know, I loved Steve's Fearless Heart and yeah. Promise You Anything. They were like country rockers that I that I really right. enjoyed. And then Ray wrote a couple that were in the Again, the, the same up-tempo vein as that. Um, but then there was a couple of writers that were friends, Gary Nicholson, um, who'd written some, you know, Better Word for Love is such a beautifully written song. And I just wanted to sing it because it was right. just such a song. So, you know, we, we picked them from yeah. all different 
places. Joe Henry wrote King's Highway. Okay. Um, and that's such a crazy psycho song about <sighs> wanting to murder and, you know, a hitchhiker. Right. But it's like so cool because yeah. it was so dark. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, Richard Thompson's I Want to See the Lights, The Bright yeah. Lights Tonight, which is a fantastic song. Well, I've always had Bright Lights Tonight in my repertoire. Um, big Richard Thompson fan. chosen for the theme tune of a BBC television series. So that okay. was nice. Right. And, um, and then years later, I ended up working for Richard via Buddy and Julie Miller, because Buddy was producing him in Nashville. And Richard said, you know, what girl singers here are not necessarily, you know, you're, yeah. you're straight along, you know, American harmony singer. Right. And Julie Miller shouted, Siobhan Kennedy, she's <laughs> British. <laughs> Right. That's how I got the gig. Thank you, Julie Miller. Right. Do you have any other plans to like release any more solo stuff? Yeah, well, a total surprise has come along. Um, I've been doing a lot lots of background work and getting back into that since my youngest child's gone to college now. So I was like, right, time to get back to stuff. I had been organizing these in the rounds for these four girls from Liverpool called the Liver Girls. Right. So um, the five of us did an, an, a, like a bluebird cafe style in the yeah. round in Liverpool. And that was great. And I was like testing the water, then came back to Nashville 
started doing backgrounds and for people. And then I, I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'm up for singing demos as well. And a friend of mine who's a songwriter, Roger Cook, who wrote, I'd like to teach mm. the world to sing. Okay. Um, and many other hits. Right. He said, listen, I've written a song that the world needs right now called God Bless the World. And you're the person who could sing it. I was like, oh, okay. Sure. So <laughs> I, I like popped over to a little demo studio here in Nashville belonging to the co-writer of the song, Johnny Lucas, and put down the vocal and they're releasing it as a single. Oh, that's great. So it comes out in the UK on the 6th of May. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's like just a total surprise. So. Oh, cool. You know, maybe people will like it. Maybe it will get played. It's very, um, very sweet. Very, um, you know, it's saying let's let everybody in the world needs to be blessed right now. Right. By whoever and whatever is your higher power. We all need you know, a little yeah. um, a blessing because we've been through a rough time. That's for sure. And any plans to be released here in the States? I don't know. I don't know. I've kind of let them Deal with uh, it. run with it because I don't even know how it works anymore. <laughs> right. This will be, be a good insight into how does it work? But I've got my yeah. first radio interview about it next week and um We'll see. And it's a beautifully written song. Roger is a wonderful writer. And Johnny Lucas is from my neck of the woods, although he lives in Nashville. Mm -hmm. He's from Warrington. Um, So it's funny. It's like the three British people end up working together in Nashville. Yeah. How did you end up in Nashville? So when we did the Kindred Spirit album, Miles Copeland had just been working with Ray on um, another project called Kennedy Rose. If you've ever heard Kennedy Rose, they Mm. were a brilliant duo um, from here. And they did an album called Walk the Line that Sting played on and then signed it to his own label. And so Miles really loved the whole experience in Nashville with that album. So he sent Debbie and I here and Ray was the engineer and the record producer. I walked in, I was like, he's nice. That was that. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's great. That's That's how I got here. (laughs) That's how you got here and and never left. (laughs) That's right. I got here and um, it was supposed to be a two week holiday. And, you know, here I am 26 years later. Oh, that's great that's awesome now do you remember where you were the first time you heard like one of your songs on the radio yes we were um this is hilarious in the old days of um single releases you know it was all about physical how many of them did you sell you know and we were on tour and we were in glasgow which is one of my favorite favorite cities in the world to play they love music they took us under their wing as if we were actually from glasgow the gigs were packed from the very first one we ever played and we were in the car um wondering like what our midweek chart position would be single and i said well there's a record shop I said, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna put like me hood up and go in and buy a couple of our records <laughs> just to help it along, you know. Right. We were laughing about that. And just and as I got back in the car, it came on the radio in Glasgow. And I just was like, I burst right. into tears. I couldn't believe it. It was um, it was what's wrong with dreaming. Okay. And the intro came on on the radio, and I was like, oh my gosh. You can smile and say 
And I guess it was the local radio station because, to be honest, regional radio was regional radio plus whispering Bob Harris and his late night show on Radio One was what broke us really. Okay. How we that's how we cracked it through, you know. Right. That's great. <laughs> that's a great story. You still have any of the hats from uh all, all of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all of them. I love hats. Right. And that one I wore on top of the pops, I still wear. Um it's so old. It's from French Connection and I love it. Um I've had to kind of um try and mend it a little bit because like made out of very fine raffia and it's right. you know breaking up and I'm putting like clear nail varnish on it, to stop it from... <laughs> so yeah I've got all the hats and um you know I love hats so I'm gonna right. keep on wearing them yeah might as well right absolutely yeah you suit them yeah yeah, yeah. but Siobhan, I really appreciate your time today uh best of luck with the single and hopefully Thank we'll hear you. some more music soon yeah, I'm hoping to. Um, I might record some more of Roger's songs, considering he's been nice enough to release one of them with me singing it. And I've also been making a list of songs that I want to do for for myself, you know. So it's just maybe now I'm an empty nester. I can get them out there. And a special thanks to Siobhan for joining me today. Go check out all of her music. It's fantastic. You can find most of it on the streaming sites. If not, just search YouTube. And if you have a guest suggestion, hit me up on Twitter at the first and all one nine, or like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, basically wherever you can find a podcast. A new episode comes in every week. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then. <laughs>